نعم ولكن لا أقول إلا حقا yes I joke but all my jokes are based on truth so you, they are not jokes based on falsifications or lies or, or, or putting someone down but a play on words a play on facts a, 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 and so on it's a, it's a tender polite sense of humor but this is again a man who is we have to always retrace some of our steps and say Again, a, a, a man that you recall the way he sits with his friends, silent, when he speaks, he doesn't like when he speaks people listen because he speaks deliberately he smiles with people and laughs at their jokes he is gentle constantly in the serve in the service of his own people bashful easily embarrassed uncomfortable with praise decisive when it comes to matters of principle to the point that he will stand up and leave the room if people are speaking in a place that is that goes beyond the, the bounds But at the same time, when it comes, he's not a, a petty person, full of himself, not an idiosyncratic person who is taken to being offended and hurt, but when it involves the principle, his face changes, and you can tell when he had become upset easy to smile smiles frequently and taken to jest kindly jokes with people not loud in his orientation Um, let me see if I yeah I'll, I'll, I'll um, you should I'll, I'll share this one with you okay um, There was a man called Zahir, Zahira. 
هو زبادون زاهر was a rather uh, very unattractive man um, وكان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يحبه وكان رجلا دميما فأتاه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يوما وهو يبيع متاع فاحتضنه من خلفه وهو لا يبصره فقال من هذا فقال من هذا أرسلني فالتفت فعرف النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فجعل لا يعلو ما ألصق ظهره بصدر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حين عرفه فجعل, فجعل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول من يشتري هذا العبد فقال الرجل يا رسول الله إذا والله تجدني كاسدا فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لكن عند الله لست بكاسد أو قال أنت عند الله غالي so, زاهرة زاهرة was a rather unattractive man but the prophet loved and he was a Bedouin who would often bring the Prophet gifts which <laughs> we have reports about the Prophet tending to give away the gifts to people and at least in two reports before they, they get before they, he manages to carry them home <laughs> and the Prophet ﷺ would give him in a gift in return. So in other words, they, they had this, this interesting relationship where they would exchange a gift. And the, the Zahir was in, the, in Medina in the market selling some of his wares. So the Prophet ﷺ comes sneaking behind him. And then puts his eyes on his, puts his hands on his eyes. You know what, what is this, uh, they call it, uh, guess who, yeah? yeah? Puts his eyes, uh, his hands on his eyes. And the, the, um, Zahir says, what is this? Who are you? And turns around and he sees the Prophet standing there. So, the joking continues in that Zahid turns around and starts shoving, shoving his back against the Prophet. And the Prophet starts calling out in the market, Who will buy the slave from me? <laughs> and Zahid says, Oh, if you sell me, you would find that I, I am not worth much. I'm not a very attractive man. And then the Prophet says, yes, but, not yes, but, says, but with God, you are worth so much. Now, that, that is simply, it can be described in one word, beautiful. Quite aside from that, you can learn more from this private glimpse into the Prophet's life, then you learn from a, a, a million pieces of institutional history. Both the relationship with the Bedouin, the exchanging of gifts, 
the, the joking, etc., etc. Now, of course, this is another, um, th this was transmitted uh, from Al-Hasan. And again, we have the phenomena of two versions. Do all of you know the story of the old woman who comes to the prophet and says, huh? No, no. No. The, the, huh? No, she, she said, and she comes to the prophet and says, are old women going to enter paradise? Or shall I, no, she, sorry. She says, am I going to enter paradise? And he says, now he says, "Qalat ya Rasulullah, Allah li an yudkhni jannah." Pray to God to to enter me into heaven. And the Prophet says, "No old woman will enter heaven." And she becomes concerned, and then he says, "Well, no old woman will enter heaven as an old woman." Now, he's obviously joking with her, but again, two versions. One version is she becomes alarmed, and then he says, no, 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 don't be alarmed, I'm saying, I'm joking with you. You won't enter heaven into, as, a, as an old woman. The second version, she becomes upset and goes home crying. And then people tell her, you know what the prophet meant by this is that, you, the prophet meant by this is that no woman will enter he heaven as an old woman. So in the second version, the prophet tells her this, doesn't bother clarifying. clarifying. She gets upset and goes home crying. He doesn't go after her. But later, we are told later, in fact, I think... This is um, uh, uh, Pakistani or Indian or whatever, so you can guess which version would be in it. Let me see if uh, which. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this is the, the, this has the the version which says "Akhbaruha." In one, in a third version, the Prophet said, "Go tell her that that you know." Go tell her what I meant. Another version is they, they later tell her without the additional part that the Prophet says. But again, the likelihood that this is a man who sits with someone who's deranged for an hour just not to offend them. If this woman would have started wailing and running away, he would have, he would have went after her. He wouldn't have said, oh, well, okay, fine, let, let this poor old woman go cry and go clarify the point. But again, it is the psychology that concerns me. Why is it that we popularize diversion 
that seems to detract from the beauty rather than the version that seems to be consistent with the beauty of the Prophet um, maybe five more minutes Yeah, that he's dead. Yeah, yeah that he. Yeah, I've heard that. I actually forgot about. Um. I've read the Abbas version, I don't know about that. But, yeah. Well, I, I think there is there is a, a very dramatic element when you have the theatrical impact of a woman running off and so on. I mean, this is what accounts for the survivability of these other traditions. But in the contemporary age, we are very, um, we tend to be, um, the, the type of humor that would suit us is the type of humor, uh, uh, someone who lived in Kuwait and so on, the, the type of humor of the desert would be the type of humor that would hurt people and would would huh? and the there is part of our projection of our own personalities upon the Prophet is that we pick the, the the traditions which I mean and this is a terrible thing to say about us but it's true that make us not so bad institutional history with I mean I grew up finding well that's not true like the, in the United States, I have not run into too many people who knew the tradition about a woman grabbing the hand of the prophet, or the woman sitting, or the prophet sitting with a deranged woman, or even the tradition about the, the prophet putting all the the the, the pits uh, towards Abbas that do make it look like joking that uh, with him that he ate it, etc., etc. I haven't found too many people who are aware of these traditions, but I have found people who have heard traditions about cruel, the, 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 um, the tradition about the old woman is a popular tradition. 
and especially the version where she goes off crying and so on. And we see it as if, I mean, one imam in a mosque here in the United States who's philosophizing from it, he says, well, this old woman, we'll probably want to teach this old woman a lesson that she shouldn't jump to conclusions. And when, <laughs> and that the way of knowledge or that what she should do is to ask the prophet, what do you mean by this? So, you know, there is a, um, but often people color their traditions with their own nature. In the same way that we don't often talk about the Prophet ﷺ telling someone, go buy what you need and send me the bill, because that is too personal. That's like gentle, kind humor. That's personal, because if your humor is not gentle and not kind, it is it it will rub you the wrong way. And like saying, go and buy it and send me the bill, it will rub you the wrong way. And often ugly people project their ugliness upon the tradition. As I said, this is a very vast tradition. And much, now compound to this is not only the selectivity factor, but this is even compounded by by the fact that we rely on the selections of a few individuals and a few institutions done in a certain point in time in history. So for example, many of the traditions that are circulate about women today are derived from the book of Husnul Uswa, Fima Warada Fin Niswa. Now Husnul Uswa is a very particular book. It was written by a fellow who did not like women very much, calmed the traditions for every possible tradition that is deprecating towards women, collected them all in one book, and I'm not sure at what time in Wahhabi history did the uh, Saudi government decide to adopt Husnul Uswa and print it in, I have seen it in so many different prints by now. The old print was the Cairo yellow page print, and now I've seen it in deluxe prints and fancy prints and so on. But many of the scholars who start their research, so-called scholars, they will often go to Husnul Uswa, look at what sources Husnul Uswa cites, if they want to appear like they cited some original sources, then they will cite these same sources. They will not bother reading in Bukhari beyond the very location that is cited. When people come and say, oh, well, you know, I've read Bukhari and, and such and such and such, you know, often I, thought, I, I, I think to myself, and I, I don't have the, 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 the nature to tell them that to their face, they're lying. Because if they really read Bukhari, they would find a numerous set of traditions that would complicate the worldview. 
the fact that their worldview is not complicated tells me that they're lying that they read Bukhari. That they read Bukhari selective. And this is, by the way, another aspect is the prevalence of lying. I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll call it as it is. The remarkable prevalence of lying in our contemporary Muslim reality about what sources you've actually read. Well, I mean, uh, th- that the plagiarism part is very common, not giving credit. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who constantly speak, uh, give you the impression that they've read X, Y, and Z, and then you discover that there is no way that they've read what they say they've read. There is just simply no way. And I find it extremely alarming that this is very prevalent in our community. I find it among imams in mosques. Everywhere I go, without exception, you talk to imams and you they, 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 you say, well, I mean, to, to just pick uh, a recent example, you say, oh, Mr. Abu Khudayma. And the imam nods his head knowingly. Yes, yes, of course. And then it says, and well, and as was related in, in Musnad uh, Abu Khudayma and, and, and the imam would say, yes, 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 I, I know that, that that was. And then when you talk to them, you, it becomes quite clear that they have no idea what Musnad Abu Khudayma is. But what I'm saying is that this is extremely prevalent. This has become part of our ethos. And we don't consider it a form of lying. But the net effect of it is that the presence of books are no longer an indication of anything. So when you find people, right, they step into a place and they see that you have a lot of books that doesn't translate, oh, well, this is a, a, a scholar. Because the ethos is, well, you could have books and don't read them. So what? Everyone does. People have books all the time, and that doesn't mean anything. Extremely dangerous ethos. Extremely destructive ethic in society. The, and I'm not saying... You know, if you if you if you love knowledge and you try your best to read, then that you know, I'm not telling any of you to go sell your books or throw them away when I have open now. If you're gonna throw them away, give them to me. But you know, in that case do throw them away. But I, I am not telling you to, to, to sell them or whatnot. And I'm but what I'm saying is that Make your books a reflection, an honest statement about your level of knowledge. And never will claim to have read something that you have not read. If this is, there are, this, uh, there are many uh, pieces of knowledge where you heard it or whatnot, and it's quite quite possible to say, yes, I've seen that, I've heard that. But that's different than saying, I've read 
such and such book. No, that's fine. I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even concerned about. I mean, when when Hisham was talking about the the uh, oh the man with the white eye. It sounded, uh, it sounded familiar, but I couldn't place it. And after he, after he said it, I realized that I had blocked it out. Someone comes and asks about her, her husband, whether he died in battle. And and the prophet is going to freak her out by, and, and what, you know, what, what. This, the, all these, um, you know, I, I will look at a tradition, and and I have so far. I can tell you honestly that no tradition so far that has smelled foul after investigation ended up to be sound. So far, of the chain and the circumstances and, and what the tradition was about. I mean, I have sniffed traditions that struck me as this is not the prophet. And this one I have blocked out of my, my mind. And then I start retracing. You know that, the, the of course, Kutub al-Rijal, many of them are printed. Alhamdulillah, I have many of them. And I start retracing individual by individual in the, in the various chains. And not always, but quite often, you find the common link of illness. Of illness. It, it, in other words, you bring all the, the reports, right? And I often do them with a chart. I don't know how to do it on computer, so I just do it by hand. And I, I chart out the chain of transmission, so all the versions. And each individual has, of course, a circle and a name. And then I color code the, the, the name. So each name acquires a color. And then I look at what, who is the common link in this tradition. Who is the person that at one point or another pops up in the chain of transmission. And then I start my, 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 my investigation through the biographical dictionaries with this common person. In other words, I don't... I, I I have to start with somewhere. And one way to start is to just to take every single man and look them up. But I found this very time consuming. So what I do is, is that I start with this common link. 
And if I find that this common link, there are reports about him that he was a liar or that he never lived in a certain area, or then I know, aha, I found what the problem is. But if not, or it's not clear if this common link was problematic, and then I start investigating the suspects. So, just by doing this, you know that this person tends to pop up in these types of traditions. So I invest, and then I write and chart each name and what I found. And then afterwards, I read what I, I, I put it all in these lists, every single person that I had investigated and what I found about them. And I make a line like this and write on a column. And then I sit and I read everything about the individuals and what was said about them and then make an assessment whether from the chain or chains depending on the case I have a problematic tradition or not and so far and part of what what Anna Hadith didn't do but which I insist on doing is to look at the historical context of the transmitter so if I have reports that such and such person earned his living by qasas. That's it for me. I go home. I say thank you very much. Now, of course, among among Ahlul Hadith, this this didn't Im- impeach their their credibility. They, they would say yes, okay, he made his living going around transmitting hadith. So what? Many of us do that. For me. That's pretty much a, a, a something that makes me say, okay, well, I see. Now, there are others. For example, if you find that a transmitter, I mean, let's take an example about the, this report about the dates. I have not seen the version which says Ali instead of Abbas. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Probably does, but I don't remember. But I could find a transmitter, for example, who lived all his life in Kufa and was hostile to the rebellion of Ibn Zubayr, which was around the area of Mecca and Medina. And then that makes me suspicious about his assessment that it was Ali involved rather than Abbas, Ibn Abbas. Why? Because he might have thought that this is an indication that, that he doesn't want to give this type of intimacy to Ibn Abbas, so and so on. So, I mean, if one can the methodology of hadith is is often a methodology of critical thought but what is very important is that ultimately you can present your evidence argue it and defend it in other words not to say well i know what i know and, and that's it but that if someone actually wants to to engage you to say, okay, well, let, let's bring out the evidence and let's talk. Here's how my analysis went. Wh- where do you think 
let's locate where our methodology um, 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 diverges. And because we might ultimately reach a disagreement that is not resolvable because it refers to a conviction about the credibility of a person or a set of persons. So, for example, if I say such and such person, if he transmitted the hadith, okay, I want to know was it transmitted before his library burned or after his library burned? You know, th th this is the uh, why. Because after his library burned, he, he goes nuts. And you say, no, 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 I, I don't make this type of distinction. Then, okay, well, you know, we have an honest disagreement of opinion and we can respect that disagreement because it is an assessment about someone. Or I read that someone was ضعيف الحفظ Someone had weak memory but it was okay because he had books. Now this might be good for you. It might not be good for me. For me, it might not be enough that he had books. In fact, in my methodology, I consider the person who has books more reliable than the person who has good memory. But you might think exactly the opposite. And I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is stupidity and ignorance. The attitude of, no, this is the way it, it is, and I don't want to hear anything. That's what I have a problem with. But you want to talk about evidence, then nothing titillates me more than a discussion about the evidence. And the more complex and elusive and, and out of reach the evidence is, the more ecstatic I, I am. The more the case is not susceptible to an easy conclusion, the more comfortable and happy I am. I, I want to uh, finish with, with uh, Yeah, I, that that tradition, uh, I uh, I mean, is well known. Um, he doesn't uh, the, the version that I am aware of. He doesn't taunt. It says this piece is for my favorite woman. And all the and and there were two of his wives standing, and they sort of look at each other, and then he looks at them and smiles and gives it to his daughter. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't seem to me cruel. Uh, in fact, I mean, it's rather endearing, you know, but Allah I have not investigated that. I mean, I, I my, my alarm bells had not gone off about that, so I never investigated it. When I, when I had read it, I said, oh, that's, that's cute. And, moved on. Um, okay, the, the, um, the thing that I want to close about, close with, is some final um, 
Yeah, here's me. The, the, just so you know, the tradition about the man who told the Prophet, well, you, you are one of the people of heaven, and the Prophet told him, well, don't, don't talk about what you don't know, uh, is in, in Bukhari and Muslim. So, I found it. I had actually Xerox. Okay. Um, here are some descriptions on Aisha. Aisha was asked, how was the Prophet how was the Prophet with, to, he, she was asked to describe the Prophet. So she says, أَكْمَلُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِيمَانًا أَحْسَنُهُمْ خُلُقًا وَأَلْطَفُهُمْ لِأَهْلِهِ That the first part doesn't surprise me. He was the, the most perfect in his faith. And the most excellent in his character. وَأَلْطَفُهُمْ لِأَهْلِهِ Now that's the part which had caused me to stop and think. The, what does أَلْطَف mean? Or not just compassion, but kind, nice, friendly, the most nice towards his family. Because Lotf, Lotf is not just mercy or compassion, but a person who is Latif is a person who is friendly and pleasant to be with. Yeah, I'm Latif, yeah. Pleasant, but in Allah, in Allah's case, it does mean the, the compassion. It, it connotes that. But in idiomatic Arabic, when it is when you say nas that means a person who is nice, exceedingly nice, with his family. Now. In another, the Prophet ﷺ, this is in Bukhari and Muslim as well, he says, he's asked about how do you earn a hasan? And he says, كل يوم تطلع فيه الشمس تعدل بين الاثنين صدقة وَتُعِينُ الرَّجُلَ فِي دَبَّتِهِ فَتَحْمِلُهُ عَلَيْهَا أَوْ تَرْفَعُ لَهُ عَلَيْهَا مَتَاعَهُ صَدَقَ وَالْكَلِمَةُ الطَّيِّبَةُ صَدَقَ وَبِكُلِّ خَطْوَةَ تَمْشِيهَا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ صَدَقَ When he is asked, he says, you earn, you earn points, you earn Allah's pleasure, you earn an act of, of, of kindness, Every time you are not just just between people, but even every time you help a man on his saddle, or you find someone carrying a lot of things and you 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 help him carry it, is in Allah and every kind word and every smile in the other version is again 
an additional sarak. And when he is asked about the character of a Muslim, or to describe the character is that is beloved to him, and he says that who held, and again it's a different version of this hadith, that person who helps the rider, meaning get on his saddle, who carries from people, who gives people when asked, who smiles in the face of people, who spreads the salam, saying salamu alaikum, and who spreads kind, wor- kind words. Okay. Now I'll close with this with this last glimpse of his personality. In this report There are a version, the one that I that I have here, I should have deluxed the other one, that it is from Abu Hurairah, in which he says, he meets the Prophet, he meets the Prophet, and upon meeting the Prophet, he disappears and upon his return he tells his the, 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 the Prophet says where were you where did you go and he tells the Prophet you know I was not pure and I didn't want to sit with you while in a state of impurity then the Prophet says, Subhanallah, Inna al Mu'mina la yanjusu. Subhanallah is an exclamation of puzzlement. Say, Subhanallah, I don't, I don't follow this. A, a Mu'min, a Muslim, is not never in a state of impurity and he's now here talking about a different state of impurity in other words if you think that there is the technical impurity which disqualifies you from prayer but the type of impurity that makes you think that you can't sit with me doesn't exist with a Muslim. This is a remarkable, I mean, it is, it is really beautiful glimpse about it. He doesn't, he's not flattered by it. His attitude is not, oh well, okay, good. 
He doesn't say, okay, well, well done, so that when the time for prayer comes, we can pray. He simply says, he's not concerned about that. What he is concerned about is this notion that you would think that you're not in a state that makes you good enough to sit with you. Can anyone guess what the other version of this hadith is? No. No. It's not Abu Hurairah, but a woman. Hmm? A woman on her menstrual period. And inshallah tomorrow, we will read some traditions about women on their menstrual period and what the, 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 the whole idea of purity. That a woman comes and the, the meets the Prophet and she had come for a reason and then she disappears and then she comes back and the, the Prophet basically same question asked her what happened why did you run off and she says well I had finished my period but not washed and I didn't want to talk to you before I, I washed and then the statement is made and we'll talk about this also tomorrow when he invites women who are on their period to come pray Eid. Not pray Eid, I mean to be present in the prayer of Eid. The idea again that it is not it is not a moral defect but a technical defect. Here in this tradition, Aisha And Aisha reported that a woman came and asked, this one is a little funny, but a, a woman asked the Prophet about her period. Um, and she wanted to know how to wash from her, from her period. فَأَمَرَهَا كَيْفَ تَخْتَسِ Meaning he told her how how to wash. So he says he said, خذي فرصة من مسكي فتطهري بها. قالت كيف أتطهر بها؟ قال تطهري بها. قالت كيف؟ قال سبحان الله تطهري. فاستجذبتها فاستجب فاستجب فاست I, my pronunciation is gone. The tongue twister. He says you take a a forza is a um, like a cloth, spongy type cloth, not not spongy in our sense of spongy, but. And you put on it misk. What's misk? Um, perfume? Color. No, musk, basically. And means that you you the um well you clean yourself with it, and he leaves it as that. So you take a cloth, you put some musk on, and you clean with yourself with it. 
And she says, clean myself with it. How do I clean myself with it? And he responds, you clean, you clean yourself with it. And she says, how? And he says, subhanAllah, you just clean yourself. <laughs> now, the, and at that point, the, he sort of tells Aisha, Aisha, help, you know, come in here. <laughs> and Aisha tells the woman, well, you, you take the cloth and then you go and means that you, you, you follow the cloth wherever the blood had flowed. You wipe the, the, the blood and the other means were, were the traces of the blood with this cloth. Now, what, what is striking about his personality here It's his bashfulness. I mean, and in fact, Aisha comments about this later on in her life, and she says that Barakallah fi nisa'il Madina, fi nisa'il Ansar. Kunna yatafakkahna fi al-deen. What she's referring to here is that the woman of Ansar had we're not embarrassed to learn about their religion and there are I selected this one because of its because you know it's nice but there are numerous reports in which the Prophet والسلام, is finds it hard to actually say explicitly what is it that needs to be done and he calls upon the aid of his wife and in fact I, I think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll find this inshallah by tomorrow and, and read it there, there's one, one uh, in which a woman comes and asks him a question and he tells Um Salama why don't you answer this question a woman asks um, um, or, uh, was it a woman or a man I don't remember I'll find the tradition inshallah um, she asks if the Prophet kisses while he's fasting. So he lowers his head and he says to his wife, why don't you answer this? And she answers this by saying, yeah, he kisses all the time while he's fasting. <laughs> <laughs> and is this, I'm hoping that you start if, if you leave aside our tendency to, to want to become, um, to want to become sort of mini-scholars before we become true lovers of the Prophet. I mean, the tendency is that before we allow ourselves to fall in love with the personality, we are all too often concerned about the little mechanical scholarly games of the traditions. And it is very important that I'm, I'm hoping that I am drawing aspects of his personality that allows his identity as a person. As, I mean, as I said from the very beginning yesterday, that I am not presenting to you 
the only possible interpretation. So don't don't take me into the avenues of divergent possibilities because I confess to you already that I am selecting from the wealth of data what I believe to be the most accurate description of them and what is the description of a lover of his beloved. It is as if you have asked me, Who's this, who is this person that you love? And I'm telling you about him. Now, like a person who loves, I am, do not, the issue is not to defend it or to apologetically ward off possibilities of suspicion towards him. But the bottom line is, if you want to know why I love this person as such a beautiful human being, this is, this is where it is. This is why, or at least parts of the why. And what I'm hoping, or what I hope that we are starting to have, is to start, start seeing the, the Prophet in a holistic, coherent vision of his personality. I would submit to you, if you want to believe that the Prophet had a rather nasty sense of humor, then there's no reason, unless you are a nasty type of person, there is no reason to follow him. If that is what you believe about him, then you shouldn't follow him. Unless you are a nasty type of person, and if you are a nasty type of person, then your love and beloved is not my love and beloved. Do you see what I'm saying? And if you say, I will get to the scholarship later, when, when, uh, when the time is right. I now, my heart tells me that this was a beautiful man that, the, that remember how I started this whole halakha, is Allah described him as a purified man, as a man of excellent character as a man who is loved by God. Now, you want to say that Allah loves a man who has a cruel sense of humor, then the God you worship, I don't know. And that the God considers this an excellent character, then the God you worship, I don't know. I'm saying this because I, I've, you know, for tomorrow, inshallah, also refrain or, or, or control yourself from asking about the divergences. This is a love affair, not a scholastic Ahlul Hadith session.
If Allah loved the man, Allah describes the man to be of excellent character, then the question is why? There are many points where our we can part ways. As I said that if you accept that Allah you know thinks it's really cool to, to, to scare old women and break the hearts of young children and terrify uh, aggrieved women worried about their husbands. If you really believe that Allah thinks this is well, this is really cool, Allah thinks it's funny, then we don't worship the same God. It's not the same God. If you want to believe that it is impossible for Allah the beautiful to commend anything but what is beautiful and consequently you want to see the beauty and only the beauty and discard for now until you become to the point of first the love and then the scholarship first the love and then the scholarship first the love and then the scholarship all too many Muslims are eager to become a a product of the in, of the institutional history of well I'm going to put in the scholastic hat and verify the various divergent reports and so on and so forth. But what is the call of conscience? And I emphasize it again. What led many movements astray is that they missed the whole point that this is a man loved by Allah. Allah the compassionate, the merciful, the beautiful. And is it possible for a man that Allah loves to commit the act of ugliness that variant reports report and if you say I am not it's not possible then as far as the falling in love is concerned the scholarship comes when you need to convince others but how can you convince others if your heart is empty because what will convince others ultimately is to see the degree of, of, of belief you have and the uprightness of your love and the confidence that you have in your relationship with the Prophet and then they will be interested in your evidence. But you want to offer evidence and you have not fallen in love? You will do no good. You cannot teach someone to love if you don't love him. If you've never known how to love the Prophet but only learned how to argue about details, that's all you're going to be able to teach. And ultimately, the details will, will kill you because what will happen is 
no amount of scholarship will be able to withstand a sincere hate towards the Prophet. In other words, if someone like Daniel Pipes come or Bernard Lewis comes, they have a sincere hate towards the Prophet. Do you think all your hadith prowess I'm losing words because of the time. Do you think that all your scholastic competence with traditions is going to be able to stand up to this type of vehemence and and hate? The only thing that will stand up is your scholarship preceded by your conviction on love. I know that it is very difficult because you guys have been born in a terrible age. But fight the tendency to be so concerned about defending what you don't know and you don't love. Because ultimately you cannot defend it. And if you want to fall in love, then you you read the tradition like the an investigator. Those of you who, who took my Life of the Prophet class know that when you stand as a teacher, your approach is very different. You talk about weighing evidence, conflicting reports, and so on. But here it is something much more elementary and much more fundamental. So when you do look then at these reports, what starts emerging is a sketch, a drawing that I'm hoping gives you a sense of who this man was. The little glimpses of his beauty that if seen with the proper moral perspective becomes a character that you can truly say excuse me sallallahu alayhi wa let me put it in, in this perspective if you say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you entertain in your mind that this is a man who teases old women and breaks their heart and, 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 and children and breaks their heart and so on, then your sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is meaningless. Meaningless. What are you blessing? You are blessing what you have no knowledge of. But, if you understand this man incidentally this is the same man I mean which is interesting 
you all know the tradition about his when he sees ant nests and he tells his army to change direction because he doesn't want them to stomp on the ant nests. You also know the tradition when he finds in uh, in um, before the Treaty of Hodebia, as in the events leading to the Treaty of Hodebia, he finds a bird with a broken wing, and he picks her, picks the the bird up, and ties up, breaks up a piece of of wood, and ties it to her wing, and keeps her until she's able to fly again, and then releases her. Now, these, these aspects of a man's personality, or a man who sits with, an, uh, uh, with a deranged, insane woman, or a man who could be grabbed by the hand and taken wherever, or a man who tells someone, go buy what you need and send me the bill, or a man who his hurt is to become saddened, and so on. Needless to say, is not a man that is going to commit the, uh, commit the ugliness that is attributed to him. And this will then call upon you to make a fundamental judgment about your faith. Either you are going to accept the ugly and worship it, or either you are going to accept the beautiful and worship it. That is the decision. And there's no escape from this decision. Blind fidelity and loyalty to the Prophet, whether he is ugly or beautiful, is something that is contrary to everything that is in the Quran. This idea that, oh, well, no, the Prophet, even if it's ugly, it's okay, because he's the Prophet. What insolence! You think that you are actually being loyal and faithful? You are you are being tribal and ignorant because you are following a flag, not a reality. And what is required of you is nothing less than the conviction that this was a beautiful man and falling in love with this beauty and like believe it like thought like when you love someone if you hear something about them that is ugly you don't believe it isn't that ultimately what love is you know something that is debatable you know like well can you believe such and such person was were at dinner was picking from different parts of the plate. Well, I don't know, you know, it's maybe and maybe this person didn't think it was impolite or maybe he forgot or whatever. Or can you believe he was spitting out the 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 um, seeds and just put them on a, on on the table and Allah alam. But can you believe that this person that you love teases young children about their dead birds and, and, and terrifies old women and slaps people and, and so on and so forth 
And then you're going to have to decide. Either you, you, are, you, you love a really ugly person, or you're not going to believe it. Because you have, not out of blindness, but because there is a wealth of evidence that has brought you to the conviction, the knowledge, that this is a beautiful person, and for you to accept that this is an ugly person because of scattered, inconsistent reports is not fair and not just. Imagine if we evaluated us, we, human beings, in that fashion. When I decide about Hisham or Jihad or Anjam, what I decide is who are they in the overwhelming set of circumstances in their life. And then come when someone comes to me and he says, you know, this person is really not what you thought. He enjoys torturing old women. And I have to make a, a fundamental decision. Either I have completely misunderstood who this person is and cut off my relationship with them. Or I'm going to have to not believe it until I am in a position to investigate it. And for those who want to be scholars, you will be in a position to investigate it. But this is not where you start. Because what happens if you're married to someone and every time you hear something bad about her, tomorrow, inshallah, we'll talk about Aisha and this, you go and investigate. How demeaning. How unloving. How untrusting. You might investigate as the, the ultimate step. And so when Aisha is upset with the Prophet about Hadith al-Ufq, right, the, 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 her accusation, she's upset because why? Because he even, not he didn't even investigate. Because he told her, Aisha, if you did something wrong, ask God for forgiveness. And if you didn't, then Allah knows it. And she can't believe that he even asked her. And she said, well, ultimately Allah came and, and put things right. Meaning what? What is she saying? You know me. You know who I am. You should have not believed it until evidence presented to you that it's not true. And if you engage with your, if you, be, if you are, I mean, if you are with your friend or your husband or your wife and you say, I love you, but you're constantly testing that love, every time a situation comes up, nothing is going to remain of that relationship. If you love the Prophet, but you constantly test this love every time you encounter a hadith, nothing is going to remain of your love. Because as persons, the same applies to us. I will emphasize this because I see it all the time, by the way, in divorces and, and between siblings whose relationship break up or so on. If your attitude towards someone that you love is that I will test your love every time. If they forgot that your birthday, subhanAllah, 
The Prophet never remembered his wife's birthday. Is it, it's not a test of love, whether man or woman. There are other things that really do matter. But I'm not saying, oh, it's okay, go ahead and, and ignore each other's feelings. What I'm saying is it is not an occasion to test love. If they said something unintentionally that was not sensitive, don't make this a test because ultimately nothing will remain of this relationship. Remember that as you deal with the Sunnah of the Prophet Nothing will remain of this relationship is if every report is a pause for investigation without being in ready to do that in the proper context. Alhamdulillah. Can we not have questions and just save them till tomorrow? I was going to suggest that. Mark, can you print the conference? Uh, I'm sorry, back to one second. And Mark? Oh, the, the, the discard for, for, for now the rumors of ugliness, the versions of ugliness. I When I started my journey with, with the Prophet, one of the great blessings is this when, well it's not true when I started my second journey my first journey was ultimately a bust is that, is that the expression a bust? meaning it was unsuccessful? Huh? <laughs> um, I mean what was remarkable is that yes I read a lot but I remained a very angry and unhappy person. Um, I was very angry and I gravitated, one of the things that, that struck me is that I gravitated towards the reports that showed the Prophet taking vengeance or killing people or assassinating people. In other words, I would be reading and when I read reports about, you know, all this, what I, at the time, equivalently, you know, what I consider sort of mushy stuff. Um, oh, you smile to this person and so on. I wasn't very, my antennas don't go up, didn't go up. And then my antennas would really go up and I'd become very interested when I would find a report about him telling Asma to, to cover up when in the presence of a blind man and uh, there was a, um, there was a, a, a homosexual fellow the third sex, who used to um, visit 
the wives of the Prophet and then he comes and he says no the, the, don't let this man visit you and, and I used to find that I would sort of become excited and get a high from these reports reports about companions killing their fathers or killing so on and in retrospect you start you realize my God, what is wrong with me? Why is it that I am very happy when I see evidence of dominance, control? And then you come to the rather shocking realization that perhaps you envision yourself in the Prophet's position and what attracts you is what is inside of you sort of like magnets you know you, you, your, your magnetic field is attracts the ugly so in the first journey um I mean, this is sort of the adolescence age, 14, so on. In the later part, then you, you start what, and, and this uh, it was Sheikh Aid again who, who had made this point, who had said that a lot of the kids nowadays, meaning this was late 70s um, of the Islamic groups and the tabligh and the jamaat islamiyah and so on are approach the, the, the sunnah the approach the hadith with the psychological attitude of wanting to gain a club to beat people on the head with and, and what they're looking for and that is why they're interested in the sunnah of ahkam because they're very good clubs and he said that you don't know a person until you love the person yeah I mean I mean, and they're, it's their own insecurities, their own problems, their own so on. But if if you knowing a person, I mean, knowing in a positive fashion, truly knowing a person will often lead you to one of two conclusions: you either love them or you hate them. When you get to know a person very well. And, and that is why, for example, in, in your relationships with a mother or father or sister or brother, it is very uncommon to find either you don't care about them or you care very much about them. And I'm not saying that every relationship between mother and father and so on is correct. What I'm saying, I'm just demonstrating the point. 
And the point is that often knowledge leads to taking a position, to a conviction. That, that is the nature of things. And he, I mean, he asked me, he said, do you have at this point, do you want knowledge to attain a conviction or do you have a conviction? And I said, so in other words, you want to learn to decide whether to love the Prophet or not love the Prophet? Or have you already decided this matter? Because it makes a very big difference. If you want to decide, then, don't, then, then, then withhold the decision about whether you're a Muslim or not. And sure, investigate all the contradictory evidence, all the conflicting reports, all of that. Said, so, but if you've already decided that you're a Muslim, then what you want, you have the conviction. So you have to make it a real conviction. It is not an issue of attaining the knowledge first to reach an emotional commitment. So I said, of course, well, no, I'm, I, am, I am a Muslim and that is a matter for me that is closed. And he said, okay, then, you, then the issue is you want to love the Prophet. And I said, yes. He said, can you defend someone? Do you want to defend the Prophet? And of course, in, in, in the, so I, I sort of, not very wisely, said yes. And he said, well, can you defend someone that you don't love? I said, no, the defense will come out half-hearted like the job of lawyers. It's, it's professional defense, but it's not, doesn't have the passion, doesn't have the commitment, doesn't have the, 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 the purity and the sincerity. And he said, do you want to learn to defend or to love? And of course, in, rather, in, I said to defend. He said, then don't, then don't bother. If you want to love someone, to defend them, then don't bother, because it will never be love. Love, defense, comes as a product of love, as a natural growth from love. Love doesn't come as a natural growth of defense. And so at that point, he said, then you focus on what you know through your faith without a shadow of doubt to be a part of the Prophet's character. Everything else you hold in suspension. You neither believe nor disbelieve. Until you are in a position where you are a scholar and able to investigate and decide. And this, in fact, became very much my methodology. I would read something and, I, and things, I would say, I know this is true. I know this is true. And I would run into all types of things. I'd say, oh, I don't know. And I would have irja, you know, like the, the murjia. The irja meaning suspension of judgment. So I would have irja, I'd say, oh, I'm suspending judgment. And in fact, I used to have, <laughs> you know, reminded me, I used to have a book of irja. <laughs> I, had, I had this notebook, 
was a blue notebook, and I, it was was a white sticker on it, and I, I it was written on a kitab al-irja, and I would run it, write a, in it everything that I could not decide upon or figure out at my, at the time, and then I, I got bored after a couple of years and stopped because it became very very, I mean, it just became so much, and. And my plan for a while was that I would write everything and every time I would learn something and resolve it, I would go back and cross it. This book still exists in Egypt somewhere. <coughs> I was crossing out stuff. I was crossing out stuff then until I discovered that there's no point to cross out stuff because I'm, I, I, I'm never at a point where I say, the, the more I learn, the more I realize I'm never at a point to say where I have knowledge. And, you know, so it became where I cross something out and then I come back the next day and I yeah, put scribbles indicating that the cross was no longer valid and they would come back and, and it became very absurd and if you look at it, the book has black and red and blue and and pencil and and writings, I mean, it, it's, a, it, it's a silly project anyway. Kitab al was was eventually retired and <laughs> lost track of it. But, but, oh well, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an enjoyable story. It allows me to uh, reminisce. Um, so, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, Kitab al Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I've, I finally retired the book, and, um, but the lesson is, going back to, to Matthew's point, is that you discard the other evidence. I mean, maybe a better word is you suspend judgment, like Kitab al-Irja, until you are in a position to decide. But first the love. First the love. And you, you, you build your love on what you know to be true. Your heart tells you. There are things that you read, there's not a shadow of doubt in your mind that this is the Prophet. Isn't that true? And then the other stuff suspend until you are scholars and 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 so on and you will be investigating till for the rest of your life. I answered the question? So uh -huh. They, they, oh, this was their response? Five words. Well, it's it's not your fault. I, I once it once I open get put on a certain track, I latched onto another track, to another track and Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't, you know, you know, Matthew, I, I don't have the precision of mind that you have. Um, okay, so the continuation of the seminar on the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. <coughs> And I incorporate everything by reference that I said in the previous two days so I don't have to go through the exhausting process of summarizing where we are. Um, This is a uh, Abdullah bin Ubay, right? And the other person was called Abdullah ibn Salul, ibn Abi Salul. I just uh, then we we know the reason for because if you refer to someone as Abdullah bin Abi then you're not sure if it's Abdullah bin Ubay or Abdullah bin... But it is very... But it would be very unusual to say of Abdullah bin Abi and refer to Abdullah bin Abi Salul. But you should be... You should put the Salul in. So you're going to say Abi Salul. and knowledge somewhere in this book highlighted is a reference to the Prophet ﷺ praying on whoever it was so you have to look at 
every passage that's highlighted or underlined and you will locate it it's just your job then okay <clears throat> bismillah rahman rahim yesterday we we already went through um several traditions that gave us glimpses of who the Prophet was as a person and inshallah today we will do more of the same but we are going to also um, extend the inquiry a bit to cover cover what can probably be called his influence or the impact of his persona, of his personality, of his character upon society. Often, in order to understand the person, we also look at not what the, just the descriptions of what this person did, but the ultimate effect this person had upon social institutions or more properly the, the behavior of people in, in society. <coughs> now, but first we will continue with reports about him as a as a person interacting in a direct capacity if um, I just need one second to find the um, Okay, let's look at, um, now in terms of the Prophet ﷺ in his own household,